，享受工作，乐生活。就算不在办公室，也能从容应对线上会议。HP Dragonfly 透过专业的 HP Presence 设计，内建降噪及会议快速键，搭配清晰的 Ben and Olufsen 音效，增强音讯及视讯功能。HP Dragonfly 顶级商务笔电，采用 Windows 11专业版。让您在会议中享有最佳的视觉和听觉品质。Pingdong County Government has issued 2.4 million NT in fines to golf ball maker Launch Technologies after a blast at the company's plant killed four firefighters and six employees. The company was found to have stored 30 times the legal limit of hazardous chemicals at its factories. It also failed to provide a complete inventory of the substances in storage during the firefighting operations. In the wake of the tragedy, Premier Chen Jianren vowed to upgrade firefighting equipment and manpower. He says the government will also consider letting firefighters establish labor unions. At a Monday press conference, Pingdong's commissioner listed three major violations by Launch Technologies. Up to 100 kilograms of organic peroxides were permitted at the site, but it has been determined that there were more than 3,000 kilograms on site the day of the incident. The company violated building codes and broke rules regarding disaster prevention. So we have decided to issue the people in charge a heavy fine of 300,000 NT. Besides storing excess hazardous chemicals, Launch Technologies failed to provide a complete inventory of the substances stored on the day of the explosion in an attempt at concealment. It also failed to designate specialists to coordinate a response with firefighters. In total, the company has been issued 2.4 million NT in fines for the three violations. Launch Technologies imported and kept three kinds of organic peroxides in storage. But on the day of the incident, it only provided safety documents pertaining to one of the substances. The administrator of the plant also failed to assign personnel to assist the fire commander, which is in violation of Section 2 of Article 21-1 of the Fire Services Act. The fire cost the lives of four firefighters who died in the line of duty. Their deaths have reignited calls for reforms to firefighters' rights. Premier Chen Jianren says the government will allocate extra funding to upgrade equipment and manpower. The government has already finalized the budget of 7.6 billion NT for firefighting equipment and facilities. In the future, we will allocate another 8 billion NT to make improvements to personnel and equipment in the shortest time possible. As for further protecting their rights, we will deal with the matter as soon as possible. Calls have emerged for the government to let firefighters form labor unions. Premier Chen had this to say. We will carefully consider the issue of a firefighting labor union. Firefighters are public servants, so the executive yuan and examination yuan will continue negotiating the matter to come up with the best solution. From more protections to equipment upgrades, the government is seeking ways to prevent a similar tragedy from reoccurring. Pingdong's Tianjin Elementary School was in the line of the factory blast last Friday. Although no one was injured, the nearby explosions broke windows and left shards across campus. The school suspended class for a day. After repairing the damage and confirming that air quality had returned to normal, administrators reopened the school on Monday but called off all outdoor activities as a precaution. Parents drop off their kids at school four days after an explosion at a nearby golf ball factory. After cleanup and repairs, the school announced on Sunday that it would reopen for class the next day. 
An assessment found 10 areas where windows had been damaged. A total of 19 window panes were affected. Yesterday, we sent out a notice saying that classes would resume as usual today. By 4 p.m. on Saturday, all the broken glass and damaged areas had been dealt with. Tianjin Elementary is just 600 meters from the golf ball factory. The explosions shattered windows at the school, leaving broken glass on the ground. Fortunately, the incident occurred after the students had all gone home, so no children were hurt. Classes were canceled for a day on Saturday to ensure the safety of the students. The county government sent an emergency response team to the school to conduct air quality checks. Once the air returned to normal and repairs were complete, the school reopened for class. But some parents still fear their children may inhale dust or unknown gases at school. In light of the concerns, all outdoor activities have been called off. The school told us in a group chat that the broken glass had been cleared. I told my son to immediately go to a teacher if he feels unwell. Besides resulting in casualties, the factory fire has left a lingering impact on residents' daily lives. Taiwan's first domestically made submarine prototype will soon start underwater testing. The Haikun, or SS-711, will launch for tests on Thursday at a ceremony attended by President Tsai Ing-wen. Delivery to the Navy is expected by the end of 2024. Experts say that once Taiwan has a submarine fleet, it will have a much greater ability to counter Chinese forces at sea. With a fleet of eight or ten submarines, we would be able to block the Basha Channel and Miyako Strait when necessary. We could use those two strategic waterways to prevent the CCP's battle groups and amphibious assault forces from reaching our east coast. That is, prevent them from achieving a pincer attack on the Pacific side. Submarines would also create concentric circles of defense, enhancing our ability to contain the CCP's maritime and aerial forces. Harbor assistance testing for the sub is set to start in October, according to former Navy commander Huang Shuguang. That will be followed by sea trials in April. The goal is to deliver the submarine next year to complete three submarines by 2025 and to add a fourth by 2027. Officials are using new drones to prevent the spread of infectious disease. An epidemic of dengue fever continues to spread in Kaohsiung and Tainan. Prevention strategies focus on reducing the population of disease-carrying mosquitoes. But many mosquito breeding grounds are in hard-to-reach spots, difficult for humans to patrol. So new drones and robots have been developed by the National Health Research Institute in partnership with aerospace engineers. They hope the technology will be able to target mosquitoes precisely while reducing the demand for labor. A disinfection squad carries out a dengue fever chemical prevention process dressed in head-to-toe protection. But many locations are hard to access or dangerous, and those are the blind spots where the disease is often transmitted. So the NHRI is working with aerospace engineers to develop a new dengue fever prevention drone. How can we look down with a mechanical eye using a drone in the sky? At the same time, carrying a heat rod to find places where water has accumulated, using temperature readings and spraying chemicals and applying other prevention techniques on hot spots. It can save a lot of labor. A drone flies into the air. It can reach a rooftop easily and help locate pools of water and to apply chemicals, reducing labor requirements and monitoring mosquito-related data. 
Meanwhile, underground, the drone's top detector light shines on a patch of accumulated water, and you can see the mosquito larvae wriggling. This sewer drone moves through the pipes with ease, relaying instant images and detecting the breeding grounds of disease-carrying mosquitoes. It can even perform safety patrols in hotspots. In the past, we would use manpower to patrol the sewers, which was quite a large expenditure. People also miss things. We can use sewer robots to patrol step by step through the sewer and see where the breeding grounds actually are. As the epidemic of dengue fever spreads, these sewer robots and drones are helping provide city residents with another layer of protection. The Taoyuan ArtX Technology Festival launched last Friday, featuring works by domestic and foreign multimedia artists. There are also six immersive exhibits where visitors can experience art supported by artificial intelligence. The curator says that love is the festival's central theme. The message is that a healthy society needs not just technological advancements, but also human values and emotional connection. The pianist plays a dramatic melody. Screens behind him show visuals that change in sync with the sound. <laughs> At the other end of the exhibit, this tech-inspired work engages with visitors, shifting in response to movement. The month-long Taoyuan Art Times Technology Festival is underway, featuring 17 groups of domestic and foreign multimedia artists. There are also six immersive exhibits where visitors can connect with art and AI technology. When I served as science and technology minister, I often said to then-culture minister Long Yingtai, we at the science and technology ministry and you at the Ministry of Culture should think of some ways to collaborate. We couldn't quite come up with anything back then. Taoyuan's mayor hailed the festival, an aspiration achieved at last. The art explores issues like artificial intelligence and climate change to foster reflection on the relationship between humans and their environment. Yet at their core, all the works center on the same theme. The theme is AI. As I said just now, when I think of AI, my first thought is a Chinese character for love, which happens to be pronounced I. I think that is a beautiful coincidence. The Taoyuan Art Times Technology Festival aims to bring the public closer to technology-inspired art. Its message is that the world needs not just technological advances, but also values and emotional connection. Taiwan's Queen of Judo has won gold at the Asian Games. Judo superstar Lin Zhenling defeated her Japanese rival in the women's under 57 kilogram weight class. The match was decided during overtime called the Golden Score Period. Lian and her opponent were tied during regular play with point totals and a number of penalties the same. That took the match into a tense golden score contest. 19 seconds in, Lian seized her moment and won gold with a Wazaari, which is worth a half point. The victory marks Taiwan's second gold at the Hangzhou Games. Judo practitioner Yang Yongwei has won Taiwan's first gold medal at the Asian Games in Hangzhou. His medal had even more special significance as it was Taiwan's 100th gold in the history of the Games. Yang said he's thrilled to have achieved the breakthrough. Following the Asian Games, his focus will shift to staying in top form for the 2024 Olympics. Up on the podium, Yang Yongwei was visibly emotional, his eyes filled with tears. His gold medal was not just Taiwan's first at this year's Asian Games, it was also Taiwan's 100th gold in the competition's history. 
It's truly exciting. After going through so many big and small competitions and facing some setbacks, I have finally seen a breakthrough and personal growth. I want to give myself a pat on the back. I'm seeing a new side to myself, and I am thrilled. After the Asian Games, Yang will train for his next major competition, the 2024 Paris Olympics. He'd won silver at the previous Games in Tokyo, and he aims to maintain his good form. Right now, I'm seeing good personal growth, and I hope that I can keep up this momentum and perform well at all my upcoming matches. Over in Taichung, Yang's grandmother was beaming with pride at her grandson's Asian Games gold. In just a few days, Yang will turn 26 years old. His gold medal in Hangzhou counts as a well-deserved birthday present. President Tsai Ing-wen visited troops in Taichung on Monday ahead of Mid-Autumn Festival. During her stay at the base, Tsai was briefed on the military's latest training programs. She expressed gratitude to the soldiers on behalf of Taiwan's people. I want to cheer on our brothers and sisters here on base. On behalf of the nation, I want to express my deepest gratitude. You are a crucial combat unit in central Taiwan. During the various drills just now, I bore witness to your high morale and the results of your rigorous training. Our brothers and sisters in the military are always the first to respond when people or the nation are in need. With your professionalism and efficiency, you have won the public's trust and ensured their peace of mind. During her visit, Tsai inspected a drill in which a Taiwan-made drone conducted an intelligence-gathering operation. After the drone found the enemy target, artillery vehicles took aim and fired. Tsai also presented troops with a red envelope as a token of appreciation for their service. Mid-Autumn Festival is around the corner and the pastry industry is all hands on deck. For the first autumn after COVID, the demand for seasonal pastries is booming. If you see a line forming, it might well be customers waiting for an autumn delicacy. Lots of Taiwan's more beloved sweet treats come from South and Central Taiwan. In days past, taking a trip to the South was the only way a Northerner could get their hands on them. But in this age of the pop-up store, it's a different story. Two major egg yolk pastry stores recently held pop-up events in Taipei department stores. Let's get in line and find out what the fuss is all about. It's not yet 8 a.m. and there's a huge queue lined up outside the main entrance to this department store. They stream in as soon as the door opens, aiming for the pop-up store of Lugang Egg Yolk Pastries. This year, I didn't have time to go to Jianghua, and when I saw they had a pop-up, I joined the queue. It's about 8.10 a.m., and I think I'm 11th in the queue. Customers are especially enthusiastic about queuing because there's a limited supply of just 500 boxes a day, and customers are limited to two boxes each. Inside, the tiny golden morsels have a crispy pastry and a gently sweet azuki bean filling, as well as a generous salted yolk. In May, we made our first appearance in a Taipei department store, and we received a lot of warm support. So this time, we want to give something back to pastry lovers, so we decided to come to Taipei for Mid-Autumn Festival. 
In another Taipei store, there's a pop-up of a traditional pastry from Taichung. Lovers of egg yolk pastries don't need to take a trip down to the south just to satisfy the itch. But the boxes are limited here to 1,000 a day and five per customer. When I got here, there were lots of people in front already. I heard you also have to queue when you go to their store. And if you go down there for a vacation, you don't really want to spend your time queuing to buy pastries. The lead-up to Mid-Autumn Festival is a great moment for a pastry pop-up, and department stores are capitalizing on these Taichung and Zhanghua names to boost profits. But there's also the glorious Taipei tradition of mooncakes, which is not to be sniffed at. Stores start to work overtime to shift orders in late August. By this time in September, they're attracting long lines down the street. If you've left it till now to buy your seasonal treats, well, join the queue. An award for autobiographies has shed light on the fascinating life stories of ordinary people, from the woman who achieved a degree in her 50s to the husband who transcribed a memoir for his wife who can't read. The award ceremony was a treasure trove of astonishing stories. Writing memoirs is a huge way that older adults can contribute to creating historical records. It was organized by NGO Strong Generation Association to encourage everyone to write down their story. Straw hat, check. Party frock, check. Lipstick, check. Who says parties are the preserve of youth? The partygoers at this event in Xinyi are an average all over 65. And they have an important task besides partying. They're here for the Autobiography Awards held by Strong Generation Association. Each one has been nominated for the excellence of their own autobiography. Chen Xuanyi, 60, took a ballet just last year. She's already come on leaps and bounds. I started at the age of 59. It's a challenge, but I think you can do it with professional training. Another award holder who's been faithful to her dreams is 74-year-old Liu Chunmei. She shows off her graduation photos and jokes that all her classmates are younger than her daughter. She realized her dream of going to university at the age of 55. She graduated first in her class and held seven exhibitions of her art. My classmates were all born in 1984 and I was born in 1949. I grew up in the countryside and we were quite poor. Girls didn't go to school properly, we just went to work as factory girls. But actually, if you have the spirit, age is not an issue. This autobiography features wedding photos from this happy couple. The husband, 74, spent two weeks writing the autobiography by hand with a brush for his wife. I can't read or write, so I asked my husband, can you write down what I say, write down my story? That's the only way people will know the story of the difficulties of my childhood. Our aim is to promote the writing of memoirs for everyone. It's also a historical record. By 2026, Taiwan will become a super-age society. This strong generation are rewriting assumptions and showing how creative and joyful older age can be. Today, we meet an English teacher who has gone the extra mile to build international connections for his students. Max Still teaches in a remote village in the mountains of Taidong. The U.S. citizen was initially hesitant about leaving home to teach in such a remote location. But six years later, he's never looked back. 
The fluent Mandarin speaker doesn't just teach language; he does everything he can to enrich the lives of his students, picking them up with a school taxi service and even buying an oven to teach exotic cooking. How many more you get? See, three, four, five. Jot down. Max is teaching this English class in Taichung's Tarumak Village. He's been here over six years, and when he started, the classes were more or less from scratch. They didn't even know the simplest things like the alphabet. I told them I should teach the children so that they can keep up with the classes in middle school. Come on. Children here don't have the same access to resources as children in big cities. That led volunteer teachers from the local church to search for help from English teachers overseas. At first, the invitation was a daunting one for Max. At the time, I didn't know how to interact with them. I hadn't spent time with kids in a long time. I told my dad I had turned the job down, and my dad said, "What did you do that for? You should go." So I thought I would come for three or four months, but when I got here, I didn't want to leave. Max also runs a taxi service for local children, picking them up and dropping them off from class. He cooks international food for his students and used a crowdfunding platform to buy a second-hand oven and play equipment. Whenever he sees a gap in the community, he finds a way to make things happen. I want them to always stay curious about the world. I want to make them think. That's the only way to learn a language. I hope they can use English for their work in the future, in finding a job, or in getting to know the world. Max believes that language is a key that opens up a whole world of opportunities and makes a rich variety of experiences possible. As a beloved member of the community in Tarumak, born on the other side of the world, he should know.